Hi, this is Dr. David Moffat, the coach, consultant, and owner of The Ultimate Patient Experience, and you are listening to hashtag POD Podcasts of Dentistry with Dr. Panks. This podcast is sponsored by Rocketbook at podcastofdentistry.com slash rocketbook. I hate wasting paper, and if I could, I would not use pen and paper at all. But I love the feeling of writing with a pen and a nice paper. Somehow, I feel connected to it. But I always hated the fact that I cannot bring my ideas to the digital world. Now, Rocketbook is the exact amalgamation of both the physical and the virtual world. Here's how it works. You can draw or write on the Rocketbook. Take a picture with the Rocketbook app and magically it cleans the picture and sends it to Google Drive, Evernote, Dropbox, OneDrive, OneNote, Slack, Box, iMessage, or even classic email. Just configure the symbol once. That's it. Everything goes to where you choose it to go. When done, you can use a moist paper towel and you can erase it only to be used again. Simply saving paper. Head over to podcastofdentistry.com slash rocketbook. Welcome to Hashtag POD, Podcast of Dentistry. I'm your host, Dr. Pank Stingra. This podcast is an attempt to learn, adapt, change the mindset of dentists and the community to excel and to become the very best version of yourself. Today, we'll be talking about the dreaded taxes. They are around the corner and I have interviewed two dental CPAs. Session 7 and Session 8. Session 7 is with Mr. Bilal Mahana and Session 8, which is this session, is with Mr. Cody, Mr. Greg Cody. For those who learn the basics of taxes with Mr. Mahana in Session number 7, this session is like the extension of Session number 7 with Mr. Cody. Mr. Cody owns a dental firm based in New York as Craig Cody & Company, who has a partner with the same name, Craig mainly dealing in real estate. Craig Cody has a unique story. He was a cop who turned into a CPA. You will feel really connected with Mr. Craig. He's an expert in taxes and shares his years and years of experience in handling taxes for dentists. He is an avid podcaster himself with the podcast name The Progressive Dentist. He believes highly in long-term planning. He even has offered all our audiences to get his free published book named as 12 Biggest Tax Mistakes that cost dentists or the business owner thousands of dollars. You can get yours for free at craigcodyandcompany.com slash drpanks which is C-R-A-I-G Craig Cody C-O-D-Y and A-N-D company C-O-M-P-A-N-Y dot com slash D-R-Panks P-A-N-K-S Mr. Craig Cody goes in great detail about how to reduce down your tax liabilities legally. There are some great sections in tax code which not many people take advantage of, especially dentists. He clearly believes in it's not how much you make but how much you keep. Being a podcaster, avid learner, you will feel that you are listening to an expert not only in taxes but in business too. He talks about his life, his experiences, 
his morning rituals, his mindset, his mindset about business, his mistakes in life, his advices to the younger dentist, and a lot more. I learned a lot about taxes and more, and I'm sure you will too. Let's listen to Mr. Cody. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Oh, no, to... Thanks for having me. Thanks for having <laughs> me. So, so you you had the podcast was going, and then you stopped it, and now you're restarting it. Is that it? Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, I had started it. I launched uh, three episodes. I mean, I call them sessions. Let me start bothering you about. Let's start with your podcast. Your podcast name is the Progressive Dentist, right? Yes, it's the Progressive Dentist podcast. Yes, and um, I, I call it that because you know. I looked at our dental clients and I look how we serve them and they're always what I call progressive thinking. So, you know, I, I kind of refer back to my dad's dentist who, you know, was old style dentist. You know, you know, people came because they were from the neighborhood. Right. You know, um, but he was a dentist. He wasn't a, a business owner. Right. And and I look at our clients and they are business owners. Yeah. And they're looking to grow their practices, multiple practices sometimes. Yeah. Um, they do marketing. They uh, are interested in other types of investments. Yeah. And, you know, those are the people that we cater to as a business with my firm. Yeah. And we felt like, okay, let's let's do a podcast and cater to those same people because there's a lot of information that we could give out, whether it's our personal knowledge or, or knowledge that our guests have. So I call it very progressive, and so that's where the progressive dentist comes from. Oh, um, nice, catchy name, to be honest. Um, but uh, so, and I actually looked up into a couple of your episodes—not uh, couple, but pretty much all of them. Once, just have a look at it. Get the, you're not talking to only dentists, actually, or or the dent. You're you're targeting dental community, but your guests are from everywhere. Am I right? Yes. Yes, well, because we know from, you know, working with our clients that there are other things that they want to learn about. And, you know, whether it's, you know, defined benefit plans or, or you know, node investing or tax liens or leadership, you know, or, or you know, marketing and stuff like that. So, so I, I just think, you know, the more information we could put out there for people, you know, you know I know I personally learn so much from listening to podcasts. So I want to put that information out there so people can learn from it and you know make decisions based on it. Great, great. Now um, I uh, I read a little bit about you. Um, for for uh, for my audience who doesn't know you, you were a cop and now you're a CPA. I mean, come on, you know, yeah. <laughs> a little me, different. Yeah, I know, I know. But this is what I'm saying. Give them the Cliff Note version. I know there are hundreds of them who know you already. But still, just for the just for the fun of it, you know, how did you come from being a C of as a cop to a CPA? You know, <laughs> uh, so I was I was always interested in. First of all, my dad was a, a, a police officer. He retired as a sergeant after thirty three years in New York City. Yeah. So uh, you know, I grew up with that in the background. I I also grew up in you know like a, a blue collar neighborhood where basically you, for the most part, I say ninety percent of the kids went on to you know, civil service jobs. Okay. There were no, there were no doctors. There were no attorneys. There was no one even thinking about anything like that. Hmm. Um, I always wanted to work on wall street. I was fascinated with numbers, but part of what you did, if you lived in my neighborhood, when the civil service tests were given, you took them. 
that's just that's what you did. Yeah. Okay. And um, took the test and um, you know went through the whole process. And we used to rent a car. I was away at college, and we'd rent a car to come in for our interviews and stuff like that, and take the four-hour drive back to school and stuff like that. And uh, after my third year, I I received a call one day, and uh-huh. and I was like, well, you know what? At the time, I was like. Sounded exciting. Let's do this. And I, I was thinking, if I can make fifty thousand dollars a year by the time I retire, I'll be set for life. I was a dumb kid, <laughs> um, and uh, you know. So I went on, and I and then my dream was I was going to become a chief. Now, so, wait a minute. What year was this? You were thinking fifty thousand a year. This what? was nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty four. Okay. All right. Okay, so so now you have to understand starting salary for me back then was twenty four thousand dollars. Yeah, I used to I left. So I left college a year early. I used to go to make that three and a half, four hour drive, you know, maybe every other weekend sometimes to see my friends. And, you know, fifteen dollars would get me through a weekend, you know, and that was probably ten dollars on beer and booze and five dollars on food. Cool. So what did I know? I didn't know anything. Um, but, you know, then I went through the academy and everything like that. And then I thought, you know, okay, you know what? You know, uh, I want to be a chief. Okay. And um, I, I was promoted. It's all civil service exams uh, up to a certain point. I was promoted after like four or five years to sergeant and, you know, got to do a lot of interesting things. But then, you know, depending on how civil service works, I had to wait over 10 years for the next test. So wow. in those next 10 years – I was married, I had kids, I had a house, you know, I, you know, things change. Sure. So I was no longer, my thoughts were no longer about, you know, being a chief. My eyes were opened up a little bit, you know, to the world. Um, and I started to think about, okay, what do I want to do when I retire? And um, I fell in love with taxes and I wanted to actually go into financial planning and I said, well, what can I do to make myself a little bit different than the average, you know, cop that retires and goes to work for Morgan Stanley? I said, well, let me get my CPA. Okay. And um, so, oh, wait, a minute. Little- wait a minute. So your CPA came into picture just before your retirement and isn't the retirement around 60? Am I, or is no, it like, no. oh, okay. No. You could do it early, early retirement. You could do it early. Um, okay. And, and I actually didn't get my CPA till after I retired because you had to, at the time you had to do two years of you know experience working in the firm, but um, I decided you know let's let's do that and I, and the more I did it the more I fell in love with it and the more I fell in love with the the planning side of it and um, so I, I was lucky I retired as a lieutenant I had a great run I worked with a lot of you know wonderful people. And um, did a lot of interesting things. And I, I went into another line of work that, you know, um, I also love. Okay. And I'm passionate. Got it. So so that's the short story. Got it. Got it. So uh, started as uh, in civil services, chief, uh, retiring as lieutenant. And finally, by the time you were retiring, you got into CPA. And... Okay, now this is still okay. You know, I, I can still digest that. Okay, but how come dental ward? I mean, who gets into dentistry? I mean, I like the love dentistry, but there are so many hundred things that I don't want to take care of or want to be worried about. You getting into dental ward? Uh, what prompted you to move there? And if 
or or how did you move to dental wards? That should have well. You know, we had a number of dental clients and um, then we started to get, you know, I was a guest on a lot of different podcasts and dental podcasts. And we realized that, you know, I could really help these, you know, business owners that are dentists. Sure. Okay. I that could makes sense. help them, you know, number one, with tax planning and number two, you know, with their accounting issues. And, you know, so, you know, they have good numbers and with good numbers, they can make good decisions. Right. Um, okay. So it was just kind of like a, a, a natural progression. And um, and now we have clients all over the country. Uh, okay, what is your uh, average client size? Uh, you know, I would say, you know, average client size is, you know, somewhere around a million dollars. You know, it could be, you know, they run the gamut, honestly, to tell you the truth. They sure. run the gamut, you know. Um, but the key is, is not, not the revenue, it's what they keep. Right. How much right. of that are they keeping? So that's always the key. It's kind of like watching your overhead, like, you know, Mark Costas talks about, you know, watching your overhead. How much of that can you keep versus, you know, do I want to do two million and keep 500,000 or would I rather do a million and keep 500,000? Sure, sure. Uh, essentially, that is that is the bottom line, right? Everything that's else, right. Uh, uh, if, I, if my office is a million dollars, and I am only able to keep two hundred grand, uh, two hundred thousand. Uh, I just get, you know, uh, there's eighty percent overhead that just loses everything. I mean, why am I working so hard? That, exactly. That's, no, that completely. That's completely uh, agreeable. Now, um, what kind of, uh, you know, clients are under your belt? And that's one another. The reason I'm asking is because I'm in touch with so many people, you know, who have one office versus ten offices versus, you know, and everything in between. Um, maybe I can. Maybe we want to know how much you can help, and so, what what kind of people or what kind of uh, DSO or groups that you are helping, able to help out. So we have clients that run from one one office to five offices. Okay, and grow. Okay. So, you know, and we, you know, I have a team here. My number two, his name also happens to be Craig. Um, his expertise is in real estate. He has like 15 years in the big New York City real estate CPA firm. So um, that helps us, you know, because what does the dentist owner want to do? He wants to own a building. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how can we, you know, help him not only own a building, but use it to generate, you know, um, tax-free income for him. Right. Right. So, so that's one of the areas of expertise that we have. Um, but it, for me, it's all about planning, you know, you know, whereas, you know, most dentists, I mean, most CPAs do a really good job, um, but they're putting the right numbers in the right boxes and they don't think what I consider, you know, outside the box. What can we do a little bit differently that's going to save you money? Well, I, um, I think uh, this is a really good topic. I'm glad you're talking about planning. Uh, uh, and I even uh, listened to a couple of your uh, 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 episodes uh, on your podcast. And one of them, you clearly talked about planning. And now, I don't even know anything about taxes. I don't even know what planning should I be looking at. So what homework could my audience, whether they're dentists, uh, new dentists especially, you know, um, could they do before even they come to you for planning? You see what I'm saying? They don't yes. even know what questions to ask themselves, what questions to ask you. 
Right. So we, I, I actually wrote a book. It's called The 12 Biggest Tax Mistakes That Cost Dentists Thousands. Cool. And um, they could reach out to us, um, and we'll give you a link, which will you know, be uh, craigcodiancompany.com forward slash Dr. Panks. Okay. Um, and you could also put a link on your on your show notes and stuff where they could actually request a free paper copy of the book. Okay. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Yes. And, you know, we send a free copy of the book, and you read the book, and you could see, and then you could have that conversation with your CPA, okay? Yeah. Um, and, you know, hopefully when they talk to him, he doesn't have that glazed over look in his eyes that doesn't really know what you're talking about planning, you know. Um, planning is, you know, telling you how much tax you need to pay in December, January. Right. So, so to learn about planning, obviously, listening to the podcast, reading the book, it's an easy read. Um, and then you have some ideas and you can go back and speak with your CPA about the ideas and, and see what you need to do to implement them. Got it. Got it. Uh, but what are the uh, initial uh, generic questions that they can start thinking before they can even get the hold on the book? Well, general questions are, you know, am I operating out of the right type of entity? All right. Okay. You know. Am I an LLC? Should I be an LLC? Should I be a corporation? Should I be an S corporation? What, what, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different. Right. So it's not, you know, it's definitely not one, just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you should be an S corp. Right. You know, uh, and typically what happens is that the entity is chosen because, you know, the, the attorney says, you know, form an LLC because it, you know, it gives you the best protection. Right. No, but, you know, very rarely is that conversation between, the CPA and the attorney to figure right. out what is best. Makes sense. Uh, and uh, what are the most common, I mean, you've got clients all over the country. Yeah. Uh, what are the, most of the time, what are dental companies or dental offices um, they're established as? Are they established as, as LLC, C-Corp, S-Corp? You know, what do you think? Uh, they're typically either an LLC, partnership, yeah. Or an S corp, and is is not a. I can't say it's a third, a third, a third. It's not any of those. They, they what they typically are not are C corporations, um, which is a basically a separately taxed entity. That's typically not what they are. Okay. Um, so they they run the gamut. Okay, and there's reasons for for them to be different things. Hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, I mean, I obviously don't know anything about it. It's more like. Uh, do you do you plan about LLC or S corp before you establish the office, or even if you have established as LLC right now, and you you know your planning stage says, uh, you know I think you would benefit more with an S corp. Could they change it after I don't know X number of years? Yes, they can make that election to change it, and and if they do it correctly, they could actually make a, a retroactive election. Okay. Okay, so that's not a big deal, right? Uh, so, is this a paperwork kind of thing? It's just a. It, it's typically just filing paperwork with the IRS and sometimes the state, depending on what state they're in. Okay. Okay. But the key is if you need to do it retroactively to do it right. So maybe it's it's now and we want to make it retroactive to January first. Right. Okay, I understand. All right, so. Um, what else? Uh, what else can they learn uh, from you? I mean, you've got everything about tax planning. Uh, but do they come to you at the end of the year, the beginning of the year? Uh, 
you know somebody so, who has no knowledge about it you know so especially especially uh especially the new dentists new uh, graduates who came out 3 years 5 years from the dental school right so we have people that come to us in the beginning of the year because you know they they're not sure and they're not sure what they should be doing and they want to get it straight right and then we have people that you know this is typically a very busy time of the year where people have been thinking about it okay but you know they're busy they have a busy practice they have a busy life you know um and now they know okay well i need to do something and it's you know it's it's november right okay um so they'll come to us now and at that point it's typically like okay you know i, I need to i'm not in a panic but i'm close to getting in the panic cuz i know time <laughs> is running out yeah 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 right okay and uh i know you keep talking about uh there are uh, the tips and tricks for uh for the owner dentist to reduce down or as to reduce down their tax liability and keep more in their pocket but do you have uh, obviously legal tips and tricks um that can be that can be used by associates also well if if an associate is a w2 wage earner yeah there's really not a lot you know with especially with tax reform um the deductions have kind of gone away there's so there's not a whole lot that can be done there okay all right Okay. Um, there are some people that can legally pay an associate as a 1099 independent contractor. Okay. And then that opens them up to the same opportunities that the business owner would have. Right. So depending on how they're set up, but you know, um, there are rules when it comes to what, what is an independent contractor and what is a W2 employee? Yeah. I think that's and, a little shady. Uh, that's yes, my understanding. Yes, it's, it's not, it's not, um, I would not consider that a good planning technique to make somebody um, an independent contractor so that they can write off more stuff because, you know, ultimately what happens is somebody's feelings get hurt down the road and they make a complaint and the dentist owner winds up paying a bunch of taxes and penalties. Got it. So, so keep, uh, keep away from 1099. Yeah, Stick. that's, yeah, it's very and, hard to qualify as a 1099. Yeah, and for W two, there is not a whole lot that you you know you can potentially offer. I mean, yes. you can you can certainly do the taxes for them. You know, just filing the taxes uh, for you know one year, two years, whatever. Uh, but probably you cannot give them any extra additional right. planning. There's not a whole lot that they can do with the tax reform. Basically, what they would have had in the past was unreimbursed employee expenses are no longer deductible. Okay. Okay. So. Um, it's not usually a worthwhile endeavor. Okay, fair enough. Um, now, what else uh, do you do you deal with? Um, wh- I think you were talking about a lot of a uh, lot of things about uh, taking advantage of Section One Ninety Nine. I don't know. Yeah, Section right. Section One Ninety Nine is the new twenty five percent of twenty percent qualified business income de- deduction, and as it relates to um, dentists, it's specified service. Um, so professionals are limited uh, with that deduction. And as their income, their taxable income, and the key is taxable income, goes from three hundred fifteen dollars to $415,000 for a married filer, that 20% deduction phases out. So what can you do to get them under that? And, you know, some of those things could be a retirement plan, um, 
It could be um, a home office deduction, and that home office could in- include your home athletic facility, which might be your gym or your pool. Okay. Um, what type of business entity you're in? Um, are you able to hire your kids? You know, tax court says you could hire your kids as young as seven, and typically, you know, if you're if you could justify paying a, a seven year old, I think it's a little tough to justify paying them twelve thousand dollars <laughs> a year. But if you could, if you were able to justify that. Um, that $12,000 a year would, would basically give you a deduction for $12,000 and they would pay no tax on that. Oh, well, so you, you're saying I can hire my seven-year-old kid, you know, or whoever can, and still take a deduction of whatever you pay them? Right, so they get a, you get a deduction because they're, just, you're paid, they're paid salary like anybody else. Um, but and, hire them for what? I'm, I'm sorry, but... Well, that's exactly what is your seven-year-old going to do? I mean, your sixteen-year-old could do a lot. Yeah, you know, your twelve-year-old can do a lot, but it's tough. You know, seven-year-old. You know, what what can he do? You know, some people. You know, they use them for photos and stuff like that. You know, it has to be reasonable compensation. All right. Okay. Um, and you know, you need to document what they're doing. So if somebody asks, you have all everything documented. And it's, the key to planning is getting things documented. And that's why we hold our clients' hands. We do a monthly call with our clients to make sure they're doing everything we tell them to doing and make sure everything is documented. Got it. Got it. Hmm, interesting. Well, I did not uh, know that you could hire your own kid and still pay him. And um, interesting. That is interesting. Yes. <coughs> uh, so uh, w- anything else interesting, you know, uh, uh, in dental world which people don't know about? Oh, I mean, one of my favorite things is the home office, um, which leads to the home athletic facility, which leads to the gym, okay, or the pool. Um, And how is that involved? Like, how is that deduction possible? How? What are we telling the IRS? uh, As a matter of fact, that I'm using a gym at my home, so you should pay. You know, give me a well. No, you you have to have a gym at your. You have to have a home office number one, and you have to spend about 15 hours a week doing work there, which most business owners, period, do. Um, and then that athletic facility needs to be available for the owner, uh, their employees, and their spouse, all right? Okay. That doesn't mean that they, they all have to go there, but it just has to be available, okay? Hmm. So I don't know, you know, maybe your staff likes you, but they don't like you that much, <laughs> all right? Um, and then those expenses become deductible. Uh-huh. So whether it's the cost of the equipment or depreciation on the pool or whatever, um, and that that can turn into a nice little deduction as well as, you know, um, now your commute from one office to another is deductible, whereas a commute's not deductible, but if you're traveling from one office to another office, it is deductible. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So if I have two offices, I'm going back and forth between the two, uh, and would the gas mileage be deductible? Is that what you're saying? Well, it depends on whether you use the mileage rate or use the you know the percentage of use rate. But yes, it would be. So if if you're driving that car and you know most of your travel is from one office to the other, let's just say it's seventy five percent, then you get to write off seventy five percent of the associate this expenses associated with that vehicle. Ah, okay, that makes sense. <coughs> um, and then you said now coming back to the gym part again. Would that deduction be every year or the first time when I'm when I'm actually making my own gym in the no, office? No, it would be every year. Oh, really? Every year. Uh, and is there a is there a cap limit to it? 
Um, it's capped on basically what your actual costs are. Okay. And we, we typically set up our clients with what we call an accountability plan so that, that allows them to deduct those expenses and they write themselves a check every month. Um, but no, no, there is no cap. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. That's interesting. Uh, what else uh, is interesting like that? I mean, this is nobody would have thought about it. So a home office, uh, car, I, I've heard about the car thing. Um, uh, and what else? And you said the gym. Yeah. How about, you know, depreciation, amortization of goodwill when you purchase it? I can't tell you how many times I've looked at, you know, books where um, clients go to a, a CPA once a year and they see them at the busiest time of the year and they paid X for the practice and they, you know, they don't have any goodwill on the books and they're not amortizing the cost of that over over time. And, um, and then something else I like is called a, a cost segregation study. And that's when, and we just did a, a short solo cast on my podcast on this, and that's when you own the building that you operate your business out of. Okay. And you have a firm come in and they do a, um, a study and typically a commercial premise is depreciated and written off over 39 years and they break um, the property out in that building over some is 39 years, some is 15 years and some is five years. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, we just recently did one where, you know, we wound up taking 36% of the, the value of that building was broken out into five-year property. So the client got this big, huge write-off uh, the year we did the study. And he saved about $75,000 in taxes. Interesting. But this is only applicable to if you own the property. What about somebody, you know, some somebody who's leasing the offices, like, uh, is yeah. there anything for that too? No, just obviously to make sure you you are writing off that equipment that you're purchasing. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I've uh, I keep hearing you know every year by this time um, you know uh, these uh, dental companies Henry Shine and whatnot Patterson they start coming to us. Why don't you buy blah 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 scanner or CVCT and write it off? You know for the year. Uh, is that a good? Is that a good? Uh, strategy for the dentist to begin with it's a great strategy if you need the equipment ah okay if okay. you don't need the equipment you know you're you're saying okay i'm going to part with a hundred thousand dollars to save thirty five thousand dollars right i'd rather keep the hundred and pay the 35 in tax i'm right. still net 65 um so if you need the equipment yes it makes sense and does it make sense to purchase it in this year versus January, well, if you're going to get it, you might as well get it this year and use the deduction for this year. Oh, but okay. just don't just don't buy equipment for a deduction. Okay, okay. Uh, and how much uh, impact does it happen? I mean, does it have on such a such a deduction on the total tax bracket? Is oh, it, it could it can have a, a a huge impact. You know, between your state and city. Um, or your state, city, and federal rates, you know, it could, depending on what state you live in, uh -huh. you know, if you live in California, you could be in a 50% bracket between federal and state. Huh. Um, so if you bought that $100,000 piece of equipment that you needed, all right, okay. you saved $50,000 in tax, so that, that equipment really cost you 50. Makes sense. 
Oh, and then but, obviously, you know, in a couple of years, if you have to sell away the the equipment, even if you sell it for like forty thousand, fifty thousand, you got your money back in a way. Correct. Makes correct. sense. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and um, I was also looking at one of those um, articles um, uh, on your website talking about uh, that we could even we could even get deduction for our soccer cleats and private yes. schooling for yes. the school for the patients like for the yes. kids so so let's look at it this way okay um little johnny's 13 and he's on a on a soccer team okay, okay? well let's make it an expensive one like hockey cuz hockey tends to be a little bit more expensive than soccer sure um so let's just say it costs $500 a month for him to be on a team or or, or his practices lessons what about um, lessons uh in a private setup not in the school but you know a right, private, private. Coach. if if you're paying for so if you pay for it out of pocket yeah you don't get to deduct that all right okay but let's just say johnny's doing work in the office and you're paying him five hundred dollars a month right and he takes that five hundred dollars and he puts it in his bank account and then he pays for his lessons so you, you in, in effect, have made those lessons tax deductible. Oh, okay. I get it. So my my kid needs a course. Uh, he's working with me, right? He or she is working with me, and then I pay him $500 a month or 1000 bucks, whatever, and he or she is actually paying for all the private classes which can be deducted in my uh, taxes. Is that what you're no, saying? No, they're deducted on – they would – they would basically you would deduct his salary. Yes. So you would get a deduction. Right. And then he wouldn't he would not get a deduction for paying for his 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 lessons. Okay. But he'd have no taxable income. Right, right, so right. He right. wouldn't need a deduction. Ah, so right, in right, effect right. in effect you wind up getting the deduct, deduction. Right, because he's not paying any taxes on it. Uh, I makes sense. Okay, okay. Oh interesting. And what about the medical costs? You were talking about the medical costs too. How can we bring that down? So depending on what the medical costs are, and hopefully you don't have you know medical costs, and you know uh, the, the, with our client base, uh, it's typically not in the dentists that we see this, but um, the big medical expenses are people get to be a little older and they need maybe full mouth implants, and we're talking you know. whatever the number is. And they could either pay that with after-tax money or if they set up, depending on the type of entity they have, or if they're a business owner, we kind of set up maybe a new entity for them and they create what we call a medical expense reimbursement plan. So they wind up being able to write off the cost of those medical expenses. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yes. So... For, so it doesn't really affect the dentist so much because you know the dentist is not typically paying for those implants. Yeah. But the the average business owner out there that you know somebody in his family, him or his spouse, need to uh, have some serious dental work done that is typically not covered by insurance. Yeah. That's a way to make it tax deductible because most people their medical expenses are only deductible in excess of, let's just say, 7%, 7 or 10% of their adjusted gross income. So the guy that's making $150,000, all right, yeah, he's got, let's just say, his first $15,000 in medical expenses are not deductible. Right. And even if he spent $25,000 on 
you know, implants. Um, so 10 of it becomes deductible, depending on his mortgage and stuff like that, he may get no benefit anyway. Whereas if he had a business and he set up a medical expense reimbursement plan, that would become deductible. Oh, okay. Now, one more thing which I learned uh, listening to a couple of your podcasts is the passive income. Uh, what are your thoughts about passive income and what are dentists or, or, or your guests, I should say, on your podcast, uh, the progressive dentist, are doing to make that extra passive income? So, so the, they, you know, they do kind of you know, cover the gamut of different types of passive investments where you know, we have people that like, you know, like to buy tax lien certificates. You know. um, obviously, oh, yeah, a lot of people- Ted Thomas, right? Isn't Ted that, Thomas, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that he's, podcast episode. It was, it was interesting. Yes, he's kind of the king of that. And, <laughs> um, and then there's those that like to buy you know, notes. So you know, whether they're underperforming notes that banks sell off to um, investment firms and they in, in turn sell off. So we had um, Tom Dunkel on one of our first episodes and he's in the note business. Okay. You know, those are passive investments. Obviously, there's real estate. Right. You know? um, and um, we had uh, David Phelps on. We talked about that. You know, er everybody's buying real estate. I think real estate right now is very tough because, um, you know, everybody's an expert. <laughs> okay. Right now, everybody's an expert until the next crash. Um, so, um, and, and the, the thing that most dentists typically don't realize at first is that those losses that you get from passive investments don't offset your other income. Passive income gets offset by passive losses, but your regular income does not get ex offset by passive income. For the most part, the typical dentist is making enough money that he does not get the benefit of that. Oh, so you meant, you're trying to say the passive income is not a huge part of their total earning? No, uh, what, what, what I'm saying is if, you, if you're making $100,000 a year and you have passive losses, the government says you could take up to $25,000 of those passive losses against your, say, W-2 income. Okay. But as your income increases to around, I think the number is around 150 now, you don't get to deduct, you don't get to offset losses from passive activities against your W-2 income or your K-1 income. Got it, got it. Uh, so as you make more money, the government says, no, you can't do that. You know, so you need passive income to offset passive losses. Got it, got it, got it. And now, I personally never understood the concept concept of you know, real estate being uh, a passive income. Because my understanding is, if somebody buys a property, a real estate for 100000 let's say, right, and he gets 25 years to pay off with 5% basic bare minimum in trust, right? Right. Uh, 30 years later, you know, uh, the value doesn't really rise to, I don't know, 500000 for that 100000 property. You see what I'm saying? Plus, I mean, it would have risen, but not that much. Do you think it's still... I don't understand the concept why people invest in the property and consider it to be a passive income in the long run. So um, and I'll tell you what I, I call a sad story. It was my own story. Okay. Um, uh, 1987, I bought a one-bedroom co-op in Manhattan for 
106,000. I sold it a few years later for 125. And I guess about 20 years later, it was sold for 565. Wow. So that makes me very sad. Sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. Um, but most people, what happens is if, if you have real estate, you're not only you have the appreciation on the real estate, but your rents are helping to pay down, down your mortgage. Okay. So if, if the time comes when you start to sell that property off, you may have paid $100,000 for it. Maybe your mortgage is now $25,000. So you only owe twenty five when you sell it. And maybe you're lucky enough to sell it for one hundred and fifty dollars or 200000 depending on where you are, how long you've held it. Yeah. So that's, that's the beauty of real estate. And at the same time, the beauty of real estate is you get depreciation as an expense, which is a non-cash expense, meaning most expenses we incur, we have to pay for. We have to take money out of our wallet to pay for it. Yeah. Depreciation, we don't have to, it's not a cash expense. It's just, you know, it, it's a non-cash expense. It just happens, let's just say. It gets recorded. Okay, okay. But we're not losing money from our wallet. Oh, okay. Okay. So, ultimately, it depends on where your property is and is the property really climbing in, I don't know, two, three, five years? Because that's what, that's where you will, make the most money if at all because if you're holding the property for 30 years there's a depreciation on it uh, and the rise in the prices of the property won't be that much maybe the property would sell it for a dud i mean i'm just saying well, I, I, I will say and i've been doing this for almost 20 years now yeah i don't know if i've ever seen anyone that's held a property for an extended period of time that has um made a bad decision Okay. 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 Um, you know, historically, buying and holding um, real estate wins out. Right? Okay. Now, can you make can you make more prop, profit over the short term? Maybe you can, but I haven't seen anyone that's held it and you know, twenty thirty years later sold it and has not done well. Okay, so you are saying that it does. It, it does. typically. Real estate typically appreciates, um, and you're at the same time you're paying off the mortgage. Now, obviously, depending on where it is, yeah, as you know, location, location, location. Sure, <laughs> got it, got it. All right, so there's a lot of stuff that um, um, we can learn and talk about it forever, but I'm not so well versed about it. I'll, I'll, I think I'll tell my audience to reach out to you and you know discuss more in detail to you. Uh, detail about it, uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, as I said, uh, uh, let's let's switch gears and talk t- talk to you about uh, some questions which I love to ask pretty much all my all my guests. Uh, they are Tim Ferriss inspired questions, I call them. Right, um, and you can take as much time as you want. You could be as quick as you want uh, replying them. But uh, let's, if you're okay, let's start with that. Sure, sure. So, what is your morning ritual? So before you go to work in in the last nine months, my morning ritual has changed drastically. Okay. Um, in December of last year, um, we got two Bernese mountain dogs puppies. <laughs> Great. They're awesome so, puppies. <laughs> yes. Um, my kids are all grown, fortunately. Um, and, um, so they've, they've disrupted my morning routine. Okay. So, 
where I used to do, I would not call it meditation, but some quiet time and a little bit of journaling. Um, now basically I am, I go for, um, a, a morning walk with them. Okay. All right. Okay. And that's what my routine has, you know, now I would imagine in a year or two, I, I will get back to my old routine, but it's been a little disrupted, you know, in the last nine months. I don't think so. Uh, I have a, I have a golden retriever myself. I've had it for six years now. Um, and believe me, that, that routine, which is already disrupted, will stay disrupted now. <laughs> <laughs> because they will want to go out, you know. You've got to take them out. You've got to walk them. You've got to run with them. Otherwise, they get bored and they have those puppy eyes, you know. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, big mushes, big mushes. They big mushes. Yeah. Maybe you should send some pictures uh, for my audience. Uh, we okay. love to see them. I will, right? I will. They, are, they are beautiful dogs. I will definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, people, people connect with dogs. I mean, I, I love dogs. If I, if I could, I would come to you and play with your dogs all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a uh, little bit about journaling. What do you do? Uh, is there a specific uh, process that you have for writing no. the journal or just oh. whatever comes in your mind? I would just do whatever comes to my mind, and um, a lot of times it, it was what I was thinking about, what I wanted to get accomplished, just kind of trying to have a, a, a brain dump, right? just to be able to start my day, you know, from a, a, I, like a, an even, almost like an empty spot. Okay. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, you know, um, you know, the day in the life of a business person can you know change pretty rapidly completely completely agree uh, uh, and then is it is your journaling based on your uh, what's going on in your mind personally or only pertaining to the business or everything everything that was it would be whatever I was thinking about okay good. makes sense um, do you write it down pen paper kind of thing or yes yes no I used to write it down I used to have a, a marble notebook and I just write it down and it was just there and I, I felt it made me more productive it also made me you know continue to see the important things in life you know okay. if, if my you know my my son's my oldest he's actually a New York City police sergeant cool um, so if I was you know if he was coming for dinner or I was going into the city to see him or something like that I would kind of just you know it just keeps you, you know, I felt it kept me, you know, in a stable spot. Hmm. Grounded. You're grounded is the right word. Correct? Yeah, I grounded. think. Yeah, yeah. It does help me too. Uh, I, uh, I, what I do uh, at the end of the day, okay, maybe not every day, but for most part, um, I have, uh, personally speaking, I have a Google form, which I've created as a journal. Okay. Uh, and there are, certain things which I'm following every day. And uh, that, like, for example, I need to exercise, I need to meditate. Whether I do it or not, that's a different story, but at least that's in my journal, right? right. Uh, and I click yes, no, yes, no, write it down, you know how that goes. And the the beautiful thing is, um, I'll be happy to share it someday on, on YouTube how it works, but uh, the beautiful thing is it, the, all the results actually go into an Excel sheet, Right. And what I've been able to do, because I'm a, I'm a very logical guy, you know, maybe not as good with numbers as you probably, but I want to see a number that gives me a sense of whether I'm really feeling good about, 
that day or not. So I have uh, given uh, points to each exercise that I do. And at the end, it, it, it calculates total and gives me a percentage that gives me a good idea about, you know, how my uh, day actually went. And I have uh, on my own calendar every week that I go through the last week's diary or the last week's journal. That's my way of kind of uh, going through it again and emphasizing and changing myself just a teeny bit every day. Wow. That's, you're tra- so you're tracking your journaling, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, and I don't, uh, and I have it on every like Sunday. Uh, I don't work on Sundays, right? Nobody does. Uh, uh, but sometimes I'm, I have, I'm off on Wednesdays. Um, and if I wasn't, I was busy on Sunday for a gathering or whatnot, then I, I have a re- reminder, a second reminder. Hey, did you do your journal tracking basically on Sunday or not? If, Basically, it reminds me at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, because that's when I'm free. And then I go ahead and kind of read through uh, that journal for the last week. Nice. Nice. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, uh, another question is, what is the best purchase that you made between 100 to $300 that impacted your life in a very positive way? You know, that's a really tough question, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, for a number of reasons, and something in a one to three hundred dollar range is okay, also forget the number. a bit tougher. But I, no, I thought I thought about the question, and and you know, as crazy as it sounds, it's the wireless headphones. Great. Okay. Uh, which uh, I, I always hated to have that connection to the phone. Right. 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 And you know, wireless headphones allow me to listen to a podcast, listen to music, you know, listen to an audio book while I'm you know out walking or whatever it is that I'm doing. So, um, and you know, uh, I like to read, I like to, to, now it's more listening. Okay. Um, there's so much information out there that, you know, you can learn so much. Um, and there's so many different podcasts and, you know, people, you know, and I'll listen to, you know, industry specific podcasts because you could always learn different things. Yeah. I am with you. I'm with you. I like that too. Uh, now before we forget it. Now, what kind of wireless uh, uh, headphone do you have? I, I use the. <laughs> it's funny because doesn't matter. Kids would just no. My kids would just tell me I, I need to kind of get with the program um, because I have a pair of Beats wireless the, with the, it's kind of like that string wire. Okay. Uh, headphones and um, my girls who twenty four and twenty six were like you know you need to you know you just use the regular ear pods earbuds. Okay. Um, so. Um, I, I still like that little wire, so I know I won't lose them. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. I've tried so many of them. Uh, if you would have asked me the same question, I would have said my wireless headphones too. I made, <laughs> I actually made two purchases recently. Uh, they're not, and they're cheap. You know, you can just play with them. You don't like them. You know, if you lose yeah. them, you don't feel bad about it. You know, I just bought like twenty, thirty dollars worth, and I have one attached to everything. You know, there's one. And which works with my Chromebook. There is one which works with my TV. You know, I've got all strewed around my home. And I would have said the same thing that impacted me positively. I can talk whenever I can drive. Even when I'm driving, I can talk very comfortably and everybody is happy. Yes. So I'm all up for it, for the wireless, wireless headphones. Um, 
you said uh, you listen to other podcasts what other podcasts yeah. episode, uh, podcasts that you listen to so you know and, and and they you know it's funny they they change on a fairly you know regular basis yeah, yeah so, i don't know if you know dr kirk um, dr kirk from business of dentistry podcast he said the same thing uh, it changes everybody it changes yes. for everybody you know uh, because it's just a phase of life i think Yes, exactly. So I listen to, you know, probably the longest podcast I've listened to is uh, um, Onward Nation with Stephen Wessner. Okay. Um, um, I listen to the Jocko podcast. I find that very entertaining. Yeah, Jocko Link. Yeah. Um, the Marketing School podcast, which is nice and short. You know, I think it's specifically made for accountants who have, like, uh, for me, five minutes is wonderful. Um, there's a guy named John Nemo. Okay. Um, he's a character. I like to listen to his podcasts. Um, have you ever heard of the land geek? No. The art of passive income. You know, I listen to his all the time. Okay. Art of passive income. Okay. I think I've heard the name um, though. Yeah. And that's, you know, those are probably the ones that are staples. Okay. And then depending on what I'm interested in at that period, I might be listening to other podcasts and I might listen to a couple episodes here and then move on to something else. Or, you know, obviously you're listening to a podcast and I have a guest on and you say, that's interesting. And you listen to that. Right, right, um, right. Okay. I tend to, my son is a big Joe, Joe Rogan, you know, me too. podcast fan, but <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's way too long for me. Well, um, well, I think um, <laughs> I, I, if you're interested in politics, which I am not, by the way, um, uh, then you should listen to one of his uh, latest uh, episodes uh, with Edward Snowden. Snowden. Yeah, actually, it's funny because my son he was over for dinner two nights ago, and that's exactly what he said. You should yeah. listen to that podcast. I'm I'm presently listening to that. So, uh, and uh, honestly, I started listening to Joe Rogan because of Elon Musk. You know, I like uh, his attitude of you know handling the startups in a way. So, uh, and he's very. Um, Persistent is the key word, I believe, you know, uh, to do what he wants to do. Uh, and then that was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's how I started on, you know, Joe Rogan. Okay, personally. interesting. Yeah. What was the first one you saw, talked about, Stephen? Stephen Westner. It's it's on. It's called Onward Nation. Onward Nation. Okay. Yeah, and I've, I've actually been a guest on there three times. Uh, oh, he's cool. got about. He's getting close to having a thousand episodes. Thousand. Um, Thousand episodes, yeah. He's been on for probably around four years or more. Oh, okay. Um, and um, wow, he typically interviews business, various business owners, and stuff like that. Interesting, interesting. Um, are you reading any books, or you're going more into audible or podcasting? Mostly, the, typically, I, I read books are are for pleasure. Okay. Um, I just started. Um, listening on audible to um rocket fuel by gino wickman okay yeah the author of traction yeah 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 traction um, i've heard good things tra about traction. traction is yeah we work with attraction and um what do they call them not an instigator a facilitator yeah. and um okay. and i started reading uh rocket fuel and it goes into the difference between the visionary and the um integrator yes interceptor is it? No, Integrator. Uh, yeah. Integrator. Integrator. Yeah, you're right. So, you're right. I think I, I, I read a little bit about it. Uh, somebody recommended it to me too. Um, 
uh, that must be that must be interesting. I haven't read the whole thing, but yes, kind of like the yin and the yang. You know, the visionary likes things, likes to do certain things, and the integrator likes to do the other things. What do you think you are? Oh, I'm definitely a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a visionary. Yeah. Any any specific quote that inspires you or that that you follow? Any um, ideology that works for you? Well, I, I like, you know, it's kind of my quote is I like Richard Bronson. And, um, you know, when he talks about training people well enough so they can leave, but you treat them well enough so they don't want to leave. Um, oh, okay. So that's that's a quote that I like. And, you know, okay. I, I guess there's a number of people out there that I consider mentors, okay, whether they know it or not. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, would, I would say Stephen Westner over at uh, Predictive ROI is somebody that I would consider a mentor. I've learned a lot from him. Okay. He's the host of Onward Nation. Yeah. That's because he shares so much information. Um, but I think I, I've worked with a number of coaches over the year. Um, and I'm working with a traction um, person right now, facilitator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I haven't seen anybody in business that's worked with a coach um, that hasn't reaped some tremendous benefits. That being said, I also believe right now, you know, everybody's a coach out there, so you have to be very careful. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Now, um, what have your experience been in the past with the coaches, and would you be would you be interested to share your experiences with one or many of them? Oh yeah. Well, I, I think my first coach. Um, helped me 20x my business. Hmm. So um, forever indebted to him, and I learned to um, run my practice in a certain way. Okay. So provide services in a certain way, and um, grow our business, and and you know really comes down to you know providing value. You know, don't compete on price, compete on value. Um, would you be willing to share the name of the coach? Oh, yeah. His name is Ed Lyons. Ed Lyons. Yeah, and he's he's really a, you know, he works in the accounting industry. Okay, so he's an accounting coach. Okay. Yes, exactly. Sense. Okay. All right. Um, what, who else did you end up reaching out to who was your mentor coach, apart from Steven Wessner, obviously? Oh, currently I'm working with a, uh, a facilitator for the traction program, and her name is Catherine Brown. Okay. And she's been we've been working with her just over a year now, and that's been great. And it's all about processes and systems, and you know, getting everybody you know knowing what their jobs are and stuff like that. Um, spending more time, you know, working on your business versus putting out fires. Got it. So she's again trying to help you make processes for your own accounting firm. I'm a Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. That makes sense. Great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because um, some people don't want to share it uh, for many reasons, you know, uh, for whatever reasons, but thank you. Thank you for sharing. Oh, no problem. Um, when you think of a person being successful, who is the second person that comes to mind? Or <laughs> let, let me, let me, Make it easier for you. Who? What is your definition of success? 
I think success is not about money. It's not about business. It's about life. It's about family. Um, so when I think of success, you know, I, I think of my dad, my mom. Um, you know, my dad came from nothing, um, got into, you know, in 1959, was able to get into the police department under some special program for, like, underprivileged kids or something like that and yeah. went on to have a, you know, a long, illustrious career, loved what he did, um, you know, raised three kids, you know, we never wanted for anything. Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of love in the house. So I think that's success. You know, um, I think we all know plenty of people out there that um, have loads of money but are miserable. Sure, sure. Uh, so um, it's it's all about the family, if you ask me. That's and, what real success is. Okay, great. So obviously um, your family, uh, your father, your mother, um, other people that come into your mind about, you know, successful uh, who else do you think uh, is successful uh, in life, uh, maybe business-wise, maybe uh, on a similar thought, uh, another family-oriented-wise? Well, well I, I hate to throw in my brother into the mix. Uh, <laughs> but as, as I said, I, I come, come from a, a place where you, you basically went into civil service and probably 90% of us went into civil service. And my brother was one of those that broke the mold and went into having his own business. And um, he's the he was the inspiration for me ultimately to have my own business. Great, interesting, interesting. Sometimes you just need a little push, and you know it seems like if he can do it, maybe he's my brother. I can do it exactly. too. Exactly. Right. It took me <laughs> took me almost twenty years after him, but yes. Um, <laughs> but you know when you when you when you come from an area where you know that's that's what you do, and it's kind of like you know you know. Nobody was a doctor. Nobody was an attorney. Nobody was a professional. Um, what was the what was the hardest uh, uh, phase uh, for you to to move from you know from being in civil services uh, to becoming a CPA and then you know expanding your your firm your CPA firm to 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 where you are right now. What was the hardest thing that you had to face? So I, I, I think the hardest thing I had to face was not making the transition because, you know, it was such an odd transition. Everybody was interested in, you know, hearing the story and thought it was amazing. Okay. Um, I, I think one of the harder transitions was when I was much younger and I was, I was in the police department and um, I was dating my wife and she came from a different world and she was in the business world. Yeah. And, you know, uh, she was surrounded by, you know, people who had a totally different view of, you know, a cop and, you know, what, you know, what that person was like. Um, so it was like a clash of two different worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing that for the first time was kind of eye opening. Um, so that was probably the the tough. That was the toughest transition, getting you know going from um, my lifestyle, which was not very different than my wife's lifestyle, but you have groups of friends that you know possibly you know thought differently of what you know. Yeah, I understand. Um, I think it's 
there were two different domains, two different worlds coming together and then still surviving and making it all work for the whole family along with uh, the successes that you achieved until now. Correct. Makes Correct. sense. Makes sense. That's that's a tough one. Um, well, if you could go back in your career or life and change one decision, what would that be? Yeah, that's a really hard decision because, you know, everything kind of worked out. So I don't know what I would change. But okay. um, I, I as as a younger person, when I sold my place in Manhattan and I moved out to the suburbs, I moved about, let's just say, 58 miles outside of Manhattan. Okay. And um, that lasted for three or four years, and then I moved much closer to Manhattan. So that was, you know, if I had to do something differently, I wouldn't have gone that far out for for the land and the space and stuff like that. Um, it's nice being, I mean, from my perspective, it's nice being close to Manhattan. Okay. Um, it's nice, you know, there's a lot going on. And that extra 30 miles, you know, and we're talking about 30 miles New York traffic. Yeah. Not, 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 you know. Yeah, not in the suburbs, right? I correct. It might be in the suburbs, but there's, you know, I dropped my daughter at the airport last night and it took us now and 15 minutes to go about 15 miles. So yeah. um, when you add that kind of mileage on, it can add to a lot of time. So that, if I had to change something, I would not have gone that far out. And I stayed first. in the city, stayed in Manhattan. And stayed, well, I would have stayed closer to the city. Got it. Any advice to younger dentists um, who are graduating in the next three to five years or have graduated for the last three to five years, what they could do to, to be more successful in in their dental world? Oh, I, I mean, I think find a mentor, you know, listen to podcasts, go to continuing ed, talk to people, you know, don't, don't leave yourself in a vacuum. Um, if you can work with a coach, if you have your own practice, I mean, you know, why reinvent the wheel when somebody else can show you what's already been done? Mm-hmm. Um, so that those would be my recommendations to a, a young dentist, you know, um, find a mentor. Where find do mentors. you think, uh, you know, uh, when they just graduated, uh, where could they find some great mentors? Uh, just listen to podcasts. There's plenty okay. of them out there. Okay. Got it. Um, any advice to younger self? What? Any advice to yourself? What would you... Um, advice to my younger self. I think, you know, follow your dreams, follow your dreams. Okay. You know, if you, you know, if you're doing what you love, hopefully the money will follow. You'll figure, you'll figure a way out. You know, I mean, there's so much talk about, you know, debt and dental school debt and, you know, you know. Yeah. If it's what you really want to do, figure out a way out to do it. Got it. Got it. Um, I know, um, we have uh, been talking for such a lot, uh, such a while, but uh, I'll try to I'll try to wrap it up quickly. Uh, but what is one habit that you think that makes you successful? I, I think the fact. That, well, I'm going to say there's two habits. Number one is um, okay. I'm continuously learning. All right, um, whether it's my craft, whether it's marketing, um, 
self-reflection. I'm continuously learning. Um, and being able to communicate with people. Okay. I think, you know, and that's something I took away from the police department. I mean, you know, I might have been talking to some corporate chieftain one day or I might have been, you know, in, you know, maybe this is not politically correct, but I might have been in the ghetto somewhere, you know, speaking with some, yeah, you know, yeah. impoverished person that, you know, was trying to just, you know, make it through the day. Okay. Right. But being able to communicate with people across all walks of life um, has taught me how to communicate with people in my practice and clients and prospects and, you know, colleagues. Great. Thank you. No, that, that helps a lot. Now, um, where could uh, my audience, our audience, find you? So my website is um, craigcodyandcompany.com. And um, if you go to craigcodyandcompany.com forward slash podcast is my podcast. And if they go to uh, craigcodyandcompany.com forward slash Dr. Panks, they will uh, see a link where they can request a copy, a free copy of my book, which oh, is the 12 biggest tax mistakes that cost dentists thousands. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm sure uh, uh, audience would really like to learn that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I should be the first one getting that copy. Yes, you should. <laughs> you should. <laughs> right. Um, any any final parting um, uh, advice to or, or say to our audience? Um, just, you know what? You know, I, I think it's important, you know, I come from obviously the tax and accounting and the planning field, and I think it's important to know your numbers and have good numbers. So, um, you know, planning, knowing your numbers makes you, you know, be able to make better decisions and making better decisions makes your business, you know, more profitable. Thank you. Seems like this would be a good time to wrap it up. Thank you for your time, Mr. Cody. I hope to talk to you soon. Would you like to get a really small email a couple times a month to see what hashtag POD is up to? What are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we doing? What's stupid, funny, entertaining, and some weird stuff that we've gotten ourselves into? Then go to podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. E-X-T-R-A. That's right. Podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. And you will get a really small email from us to give you that little extra kick and keep you busy exploring the world we travel. You can also find us on Facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com slash Facebook. Thank you for listening. Hashtag POD. And I'll see you inside.